you crazy metalheads. This is King Diamond, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks with John. Hi, everyone. This is Daniel from Insane, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, hey what do you say? This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill, and that's right. I am on Iron City Rock. Welcome to episode 501 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 501, we have two very special guests we have joining us a little bit later in the show from the band TNT. We have Ronnie Latecro uh, talking about a uh, album he'll be releasing later in the month of March with Leadfoot. So we'll get all the information on that and a little TNT talk as well. But first, we're going to talk to Mr. Ricky Rackman. Ricky, um, I'm sure I say that name, and if you're anything like me, you go back to he and Tie Me Down from Faster Pussycat on the Headbangers Ball talking about you know, whatever video or whatever they had going on at the Cat House in, in Hollywood. So Ricky has been doing a lot of things since the Headbangers Ball. He's been involved with NASCAR, podcasting, radio, uh, you name it. He's really made a, a nice career for himself. He is going to be going on tour. He's done a few of these live dates before, but he's going to be doing a full-blown tour uh, of kind of a, a spoken word, I guess maybe is the closest word I would use to describe it. But he's going to be coming in to the Oaks Theater in Oakmont, Pennsylvania. So if you're from the Pittsburgh area, you're obviously familiar with the Oakmont area. He's going to be doing a show on Tuesday, April 4th. And we are going to talk to Mr. Rackman about what you can expect as a fan of music, fan of the Headbangers Ball, fan of his just to give you the idea of what you've got in store. So without further ado, Mr. Ricky Rackman. My pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Ricky Rackman. How are you doing, Ricky? I am doing awesome, thank you. Well, it's going to be great to have you coming in to do your show April 4 in Oakmont at the Oaks Theater. Um, a lot of great feedback from folks who, who made the drive out to Cleveland to see that show that you did out there. I think that was last year at this point. But um, can you talk a little bit for those who, who may know you from, I think, you know, the majority of our audience is going to be like, oh, that's, you know, the Headbangers Ball guy. Um, for the folks who, who remember you from that era, what, what can they anticipate from this show you were doing? Well, um, the show is one foot in the gutter. That's what I'm calling it, because at the end of every headbanging fall, I used to say, remember to keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. And that was even my little saying even before I started with Headbangers Ball. And uh, before Headbangers Ball, I, I owned a club called The Cat House, which was like, I mean, I say this not braggingly, but The Cat House was like sure. the greatest rock and roll club in the world. And I started from nothing and did that. And, you know, so I talk, tell a lot of stories. You know, sometimes if you ever read a book about the 80s and 90s, they mention stuff that happened at the cat house. 
and these stories aren't even really the way it happened. I mean, some of these ha- stories happen right next to me, you know, mm. and we tell some of these stories, and I tell these stories the way it really happened. I tell the stories about Headbangers Ball. What was it really like at the water park with Allison Chains or when Nirvana was there? But I also tell the story about how I got there, which wasn't such a great story. You know, I was heavily addicted to drugs. I even dealt drugs. And um, eventually I got sober, did, did, did Headbangers Ball, then did talk radio, uh, got into more trouble, went to jail, went from making, you know, almost half a million a year to being bankrupt and uh, some sad and kind of funny stories about all that stuff. And there's also a part of the show where the set, the stage is sort of decorated like my room when I was a kid. And I take you to my room as we're discovering, you know, certain bands that, that made a big influence on me. But there's also stories about people that you would never expect to be in my show. And there's also videos and photos. So it's, it's storytelling, it's spoken word, it's sort of like a play, and even though there's not per se music, um, it's still completely rock and roll. Sure. Yeah, I, I think a lot of folks, you know, coming from a kid who lived in the you know Middle Eastern part of the United States growing up in that era, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, who were maybe just a tiny bit younger at the time were so envious of what you did with MTV and it made, you know, I think it was kind of a changing of the guard and maybe, maybe you could speak to that a little bit with, with Adam Curry and the move to you. Was that something that was done in reference to kind of the changing tides in the music industry or was that just kind of coincidental that you came in kind of as heavier music became a little more popular? You know, Adam, I think a lot of people associated him with the glam era you kind of came in, you know, in that Guns N' Roses, Faster Pussycat, Sleaze Rock kind of thing. Was that coincidental, or yeah. was that just... Um, I, I think it was a little bit of me just being there at that time. You know, I had never had aspirations to be on TV or radio. My first time with a camera in my face was the first episode of Headbangs Fall. So I was, I was not really ready for any of the stuff or sort of fame that came with it. Mm-hmm. But the reason that I think they wanted me to do that show was because I came from the streets of Hollywood where everybody was getting record deals and everybody was getting signed. And to say like, oh, well, it'll be great when Ricky talks to Axel or Suicidal Tendencies or Alice in Chains or Faster Break, because I knew all of those people. Right. And I didn't know them from a work standpoint. They were truly people that I hung out with at the club. So they knew that I was kind of part of the scene, so that's why they brought me in. But just what happened was the music changed so much during the five years that I was on that show, and sometimes people <laughs> put the blame on me. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Ricky, well, when you started playing Nirvana, that killed the glam. I'm like, look, I, I, first of all, I never picked a video on Headbangers Ball, but it was just things change, you know? And, yeah. you know, people... It, it was funny because a lot of times people would put that blame almost on me, which was always almost humorous yeah, because I had fl- nothing to do with, with that stuff. That's almost flattering. I mean, I, you know, I think if to say, you know, to someone to think you had that influence, that that's, you know, maybe a left-handed compliment to say, you know, God, this guy yeah, changed the face of hard I mean, rock music in that case. I've had people tell me so many times, like, Dude, thanks. You turned me on to Pantera. And I was like, 
I just kind of played the video. I mean, obviously, yeah. I like the band and I have to talk about the band, and and that's very flattering. I don't really feel that it's deserved, but it's still very, very flattering that that people think that way. That people think like because because Headbangers Ball did expose people. You know, we didn't have the internet. So Headbangers Ball was the way that many people found out about some of these bands. And that was, you know, really, really, really cool, you know. And, and sometimes I forget how important that show was to somebody that might have been 12 years old living in a small town that didn't get to go to shows. Yeah. So the only ways they found out about these bands were from Headbangers Ball. You're, you're, and, you're you know, right. I, mean, I feel very lucky to be in that part, in that yeah, position. Yeah, I mean, I mean, talking as someone, again, who grew up in Pittsburgh, we didn't have... A metal radio station. We didn't have KNAC or even some of the stations like Cleveland had a harder rock station. You know, so it was Hit Parader, Circus Magazine, Metal Edge Magazine, and then Saturday night throwing a VHS tape in to catch the Headbangers Ball and then kind of going through it Sunday morning, really, um, was how we got our metal. You know, so it's, you know, but... Can you talk a little, you know, from a, and maybe this is something you can't expose too much, but the process, you, you mentioned you didn't select videos, but do you, like, some insight on how videos were brought into the rotation? Was there, I mean, obviously I'm going to have to guess record companies had influence on that at that stage. Of yes, the- I mean, there were people, as much as sometimes I get upset when I think about the videos that we played, uh, I know that my first, um, time becoming aware of what videos would be on the show was when I was on the set and it's like, okay, here are the videos that we're going into. I had absolutely no say in anything that got played. And because it was hard rock, which had so many genres, even back then, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're playing Slayer, the people that want to hear Poison are upset. And if you're playing Poison, the people that want to hear Slayer are upset. So, yeah. It's like, instead of just saying, look, sometimes I'm going to see some bands I don't like, sometimes I'm going to see bands that I do like. So people would get very upset about that, thinking this is the way the show should be. I There were people that were program directors that I think did a fairly good job. And I think that maybe, I, 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 I'm sure labels had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, m- my feeling was, I think that if a band, and I don't care who the band is, if the band has a video that's played during the day, then it shouldn't be on Headbangers Ball. I wanted Headbangers Ball to be the place that we got the videos that you don't see yeah. um, during the day. You know, if you're playing Alice in Chains, you know, Man in a Box on at noon and two o'clock, don't play it on Headbangers Ball. Play something else from the band. So, uh, you know, I, I liked us being the place where you wouldn't get the things you. Yeah, it, kind of it, many of the hard rock, heavy metal bands were so big. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. You didn't need to see Girls, Girls, Girls. God bless, you know, the traction that song had. But you could see it 64 other times during the day. Show me, you know, Looks to Kill, you know, as a throwback video. I or could not. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I, I always enjoyed the variety. There were times where, you know, I think maybe early on in the Headbangers Ball where it kind of got heavier as the night went on. You know, you you could it would start yeah. out a little you know a little more lipstick and lace and ended up a little more lemmy at the end, but I think especially into the '90s is where it got cool because it was Mother Love Bone and Slayer and Death Angel and, and you know a new video from Warrant right like right in the in the mix and I think that you know I, I think we need more of that you know metal has become so I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. 
I like that we had that we had different uh, genres of music, and it would be, you know, okay, here's the latest from Cannibal Corpse, and now here's something from Faster Pussy Cat. Mm-hmm. You know, I I like that we did that because, you know, I mean, the goal is is to get as many hard rock, heavy metal fans watching as possible. So sometimes you have to have different styles of music, and and you know, I, that and I I kind of like that about that era too because. You know, as much as I, I love heavy music, there's also other bands that I like. You know, as much as I love Slayer, I like Skid Row. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I like that we got to do all those and sort of show the personalities of, of that kind of stuff. And yeah. the one thing that's fun about my show is I talk about, like, you know, what it was really like when we were doing the shows, how I got the job. But, you know, I mean, it was Axel that pretty much worked as my agent to get that job. And I tell all those stories in my show, and then a whole bunch of stuff that isn't even Headbangers Ball. Yeah, what like what kind of turned? You know, I've always kind of curious of this uh, of musicians, but you know, you're you're obviously a musician in, in your career as well. But you know, you've got kind of a, a bigger than just you know music um, per se. But what kind of turned you on to this kind of music? Was there a particular band that you know a, a younger Ricky Rackman you know discovered? Yeah that kind of flipped that switch? Yes. Uh, there's a whole part in my show which shows a young Ricky Rackman with a record player the first time he heard what is considered a heavy metal record. And for me, the album that really, I would say, brought me to the dark side was being a kid and hearing Deep Purple Machine Head. And the yeah. first time I heard that album, I was like, okay, this is dark, this is heavy, and I like it. And I really, really loved it. Deep purple, and then I was, you know, real. That, and I think the thing that really got me into the whole kind of Hollywood LA rock scene was, you know, I was really into punk rock. But when mm-hmm. I heard, when I saw Motley Crue doing Livewire, I was like, okay, this is something different. This is really cool. And then I got Shout at the Devil, and I was like, okay, I really like this. I mean, that's the stuff that really, I guess, was my gateway. My first gateway, I would say, would be Deep Purple Machine Head. And then Alice Cooper, because when I heard Deep Purple, I was just like, oh, this is... Yeah, it's, it's funny to hear you say that, because I mean, you, you look at the impact that Deep Purple had on music and how few people cite them. You know, you get Led Zeppelin, I would have bet the farm you were going to say a Kiss record. <laughs> but, you know, when you really go back and listen to Machine Head, um, you know, Burn, even, you know, the David Coverdale stuff, Coverdale stuff was phenomenal. Um those records really, really made an impact, but it's not a it's not a quick one. You know, people will say Zeppelin or, or the Beatles or you know. or Sabbath. Yeah, a lot Sabbath. Of people like, oh, Sabbath. Sabbath was the first heavy metal band. I'm like, go put on Deep Purple Machine Head. Go put on the whole record. You know. Yeah. I mean, it just goes. You know, Smoke on the Water is without a doubt my least favorite song on that album, but there is so many great songs on it. And it was heavy metal, you know. It yeah. was to me as much as Sabbath was. Yeah, you know, I, that would would definitely have been it. I, I was having a conversation today about with somebody about listening, you know, to how the the, the experience we had as youngsters, kind of listening to these things on cassette, you know, because I was uh, enough younger that the cassettes were probably the more likely format. And I remember somebody's brother had, I think the, the, it was like a compilation from Deep Purple. When we rock, we rock, we roll, we roll, I think was what it was called. And it was like mind blowing, you know, Highway Star and Smoke on the Water and, and great, great stuff. 
The um, the show for the fans um, is there. I I know there was like a premium meet and greet. Do you kind of do a Q and A, or is it um, anything after the show? If people well, want to grab the, a pic the, or the the meet and greet, which I call VFI, which is very blank important, um, and that's what I used to use that term in the cat house days. Mm-hmm. And what I did is that every show I made ten of them available, and those tickets include a front row seat. And then, yeah, hang out with me before the show. I don't like saying the word meet and greet because meet and greet makes people feel like they're going to get herded in like cattle. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we do our VFIs, what happens is 10 people show up. We all walk into a room. um, I sign posters. They all get a laminated pass. And all we do is, seriously, 10 people, we just sit and we talk about whatever. If they want to ask me questions, they can ask me questions. If they want to take photos, they can take photos. And when I say this, I'm not saying this like it's kind of a, a cliche or made up. We become friends. And I yeah. still am in touch with a lot of these people's social media. You know, my wife is my tour manager. And she was on season one of Ink Master, um, Leah Vendetta. So I get a lot of people that come there that really want to get a picture with Leah. Yeah. And we love that too. I mean, the thing is, is it's, it's the thing that I've done with my tour and any of the people that went to the show know this. Um, what I've done with my my tour is, you know, I tell you, oh, this is Joanna that's selling T-shirts. This is Paul. He's driving the band. He's also doing the sound. And people go up and they talk to these people. And it is an experience that people don't really bother doing at shows. Yeah. You know, I, I never say the word band because we're all just kind of hanging out. We're having fun. And that is what has made this show, these, this, this tour, really, really fun for me because, I mean – if you think that I'm getting rich going out there, I'm not. I yeah. sold my car to buy a minivan to do this tour, and I get to go out, talk to people, have fun, and hang out with people and meet people, and it's just it's 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 really really fun. It's it's you know we're so used to social media and people yeah. talking crap and people hating, and it's like there's none of that there. I mean, if you're there, you're there to have a good time, tell some stories, and uh, the show is. I mean, the, the reviews that I've been getting is really, really overwhelming. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's incredible to read. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that a lot of people went to, like every show I played, I remember, uh, Cleveland was the first show of a five-show tour, which the, was the only other time I went out on the road, and Cleveland was the first one. And I was like, okay. And I got contact lenses because I have to wear glasses now because mm-hmm. I'm old. And I went to Cleveland, and I couldn't see it. And I wrote, like, cheat, cheat notes, and I couldn't see a thing. I couldn't see one thing. And so like I'm picking up these pieces of paper in front of everybody in Cleveland and I was a little frazzled and I was like, guys, I can't even see what my, the next thing I was supposed to talk about was. <laughs> and everybody's like, it's okay, it's okay. And so we're just kind of sitting, I'm like, can you read what this says? I mean, it was just, it was very casual. It is, yes, I'm planned out what I'm going to have on my show and especially sure. now because there's a lot of video and slides, but it's, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, let's just see what happens. I beat off the crowd. And Cleveland was really, really a fun show because that was the first one. And all the little things that might go wrong sort of went wrong. And everybody was just really, really cool with it. Yeah. So that I, I will always remember that show. Yeah. And it sold out. So yeah. and, and good. As much as it pains me to say in Pittsburgh, Cleveland is a great city for rock music. So I, I, that is, it's a good a good market to, to do that. I, I think uh, it, it was fun. Uh, I got to catch the Winery Dogs did their first show. There tour, and I know it was Billy's. I had talked to Billy Sheen prior to them coming into the city, and he said it was you know he was just 
so pumped to get back on stage after the pandemic. And, uh, you know, there you know, was some mixing issues and stuff, and people don't care. You know, we're just so happy to be there, you know, in this kind of communal experience. And it sounds like that's what, what you've got in store for us. So, Ricky, I want to thank I, you so much. Oh, go, thank you. No, go ahead. And, and the, the thing that's really cool, is, real quick, the thing that's really cool, cool is, um, wait, you know, we put 23 tickets, 23 shows on sale, and Pittsburgh was the quickest one selling more than any of the other markets. So I was like, okay, I can't wait because I've never been, you know, and even though it's, it's Oakmont, um, I'm still like, okay, I can't wait to go because like if that many people bought tickets the day they went on sale, these people can't wait for this show. And, and this is why this is going to, and I said, whichever show sells out first, and I don't know if there's a show sold out by now. Whichever show sells out first, I'm going to bring snacks. I don't know what that's going to be, but I just I come up with stupid ideas because there is no producer of the show, there is no writer. So yeah. I come up with stupid ideas and I just do them before I think like, can this happen? So if Pittsburgh sells out, maybe it is sell out. I'm bringing snacks. Snacks. That sounds good. Well, Ricky, thank you so much. I want to wish you all the best, and we will see you in just a little less than a month, man. Ooh, I'm excited. Thanks a lot, buddy. I really appreciate it. All right, again, Ricky Rackman will be doing his. Uh, tour coming to the Oaks Theater, Oakmont, Pennsylvania, April 4th. Tickets available. We'll have links in the show notes at ironcityrocks.com or you can go to the oakstheater.com and get your tickets there as well. Should be a really fun night. I think I, I don't know if there are any of the um, the VIP uh, experience left for that event. Probably not by the time you're hearing this interview, but it, it sounds like an extremely intimate event. I think you're going to have a great time and if you're listening to my voice and you're going to that show. Holler out to him to tell the story about Primani Brothers. Uh, we did that off air. I wanted to save that really hilarious story uh, for you guys to hear that night. So I want to thank him for coming on the show. going to turn our attention now to L- Ronnie Latecro, who was the guitarist and founding member of the band TNT, which um, for me really kind of became aware of that band when Intuition broke in the 80s. Just love that album very melodic hard rock album and they've been at it for a very long time and been very successful uh ronnie uh for the second time is going to be teaming up with leadfoot which is an american singer um tim scott mcconnell who uh is written for bruce springsteen among others you know kind of a singer songwriter kind of a gothic sort of uh singer just an amazing musician but the two of them is kind of an unlikely combination when you step back and think about it but the two uh have come together this is again their second album it's going to be out march 24th it is called limited edition lava lamp leadfoot and ronnie letecro so we're going to play you a little bit of that in interview mr ronnie letecro from tnt Gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome Dyer City Rocks. We have Ronnie, Ronnie Latigro on the line. How you doing, Ronnie? 
I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, big fan of TNT through all these years, and you've got a new album coming out with your partner, Leadfoot. Um, the, the second album of this uh, pairing. Can, can you talk a little bit about how you guys kind of got together? I mean, your styles, you know, from a, from a casual fan, you wouldn't think, well, these two would be a marriage made in heaven. But uh, you and Tim have got a great, great chemistry between the two of you. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, I met Tim about 15 years ago. Um, he was married to a Norwegian woman. That happens to quite a lot of Americans. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Ledford, he, he married this, and he got divorced and stuff. And it was kind of after the divorce when he did his first Ledford album. I can't quite remember the name, but... Uh, yeah, we've pretty much been producing all of these albums since the first one uh, at my studio. Okay, so you you've got uh, that option to to work with him. Was it something about his style of music that kind of drew you in? Like I said, it's it's a bit of a I don't want to say a departure, but it's a very different, you know, musically than what I think of, you know, we've come to expect from TNT. Was that something that just kind of drew you in? Was just kind of doing something different? Yeah, and I think I do that with my other solo works too, where I'm able to kind of get out of the you know metal box and yeah. uh, with the limitations uh, that that style has some limitations, right, and some expectations too sure. from the fans. So, so uh, I think it's an outlet to just show off uh, different color, um, yeah. also be able to because. Uh, Ledford is such a skilled songwriter, co-writer sure. too. So um, it really keeps me alert on the, the content of the American language. <laughs> yeah. When I listened to the limited edition Lava Lamp, I think one of the things that's so neat about it is it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to have any formula whatsoever to it. And I mean that in the highest compliment because every song is is so diverse you've got you know shades of tim buckley and john hyatt and then you know some pink floyd almost type stuff um your cover of the song sister uh fantastic was when you guys write you know was it just these are the songs that kind of came up or do you write individually and kind of bounce ideas off each other how do uh, how do the songs kind of take shape uh this time we co-wrote i think like two three songs then he uh, came with four songs to the table, and I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we recorded 11 or 12 tracks, and I think nine ended up on the album. So so it's it's a, a continuous process. He writes a lot, I write. Uh, and then we meet quite frequently to exchange ideas and, you know, uh, and, and trying to develop it into something that we own. You know, the, the, that's our sound. You know, when we kind of merge the two styles sure. like you said uh, which is a dangerous experiment but I think it worked yeah it, it does I think that's what actually makes it very interesting is that you know when you listen you know I, I got through the first two songs and into the first on it and it was like it, it went in such a neat direction um, throughout the album it isn't like you know when you when you first start listening to it you might think okay, this is going to be kind of the acoustic sort of you know, rock, and then, like I said, you've got elements of, of 
very elaborate guitar work and and um the song in particular that uh i i was just dying to ask you about was the um outro solo of never use your eye uh, is that an ebo or what what are you doing on that There's, you've got some really uh, i think i used to want me uh, first generation want me okay like the... early night is wampy and there's uh moog i think synthesizer uh, okay. uh, improvising along with the you know yeah. So 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 a lot, lot of this uh, album was done, uh, you know, based on live takes. Yeah. Mo- most of it actually, where we did some overdubs here and there, but uh, not overkill. <laughs> is, is your work in your? Uh, was this done at your studio? This album. Yeah. Is yeah, that so? That is that a, a as a songwriter and a musician? Is it somewhat? I mean, I, I'm assuming there's a million pluses to having your own studio but sometimes does that ability to tinker and do things sometimes you know make the process way longer than it needs to be or how do you kind of balance this is good enough versus you know i have more time at my hands i can do more experimenting you know how do you draw that line it's it's of course a balance between economy and time and people say uh you know when they're available and stuff so Mm -hmm. But, but I, I like to bring in different producers to just freshen up mm-hmm. the process. So, so this time we had a Americana type of producer, a Norwegian that put his magic hand over the production, right? So, I think that's how I keep keep it alive. And I, I like to work continuously. Three hundred three hundred days a year, I can easily do that, right? So, yeah. Yeah, looking at your your discography and, and your solo work and, and and you know just you know your day job, I'm sure it keeps you quite busy. Does the uh, do you kind of in doing this project in your own studio? Do you kind of schedule yourself around when other paying customers are coming in? You know, you get kind of the scraps of what time is left, or do you do you able to kind of carve out time for this? Uh, we have a label that uh, luckily we have a label with uh, that has some funding. So we, we kind of just choose the, the, the period okay. when, pe- when people are available. So we, we have a small budget to, to kick it off. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys get to tour with this uh, or is it? Uh, yeah, we're starting, uh, starting uh, October, mid-October uh, and into November. We're doing a Scandinavian tour. Uh, what happens after that? We don't know, but uh uh, yeah, yeah, that's it's really so, 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 so that's what they're working on anyway. The the agents that period mid October into mid November. Do you at, at that point what what are you up to now? That I mean, obviously you've got to do press for this album, but what's next on Ronnie's calendar? I mean, do, do we see uh, it next on, uh, next on my calendar is uh, rehearsing with TNT because we're going out again uh, this spring. With uh, Tony Arnell and uh, me and Dizeldal, you know, three three of the original members at least. Yeah. Is that so? We started uh, we started some rehearsals and uh, we booked a lot of shows already for uh, the summer big festivals and yeah. From from an economic standpoint, does the United States make sense for touring? You know, I've talked to you know, like Axel Rudy Pell, for example, who who has tremendous success in Germany, but you know the idea of coming to the states and touring is just financially makes no sense does that does that discussion ever come up with you guys about you know love to do it well i think a lot of the european 
hear that doesn't tour the America. We hear that it's hard times, you know, that it's mm-hmm. almost impossible to tour because of, you know, just plain economy. Yeah. Um, so in, in in that sense, it's I guess it's a more secure market in Europe regarding hard rock. Because hard rock never really died over here, you know. It's yeah. just as big, big as it used to be, or even bigger. So yeah. um, I, I think that. But I, I think we we booked some shows that will be uh, announced very soon in uh, in the states. Yeah. Uh, in uh, next year, I think March next year we're doing four shows, maybe. Okay, I could see. I I know you know. For me, is you know, growing up, I remember I kind of came along. I think the first album I got from you guys was Intuition, which you know was probably the most commercially viable in the in the states, but never had a chance to see you. So I always, you know, is one of those bands where I think, boy, that would be cool if they would come. But you know, you certainly understand that fuel costs and airline costs and gear costs and 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 to make a living, everyone's got to do other things. You know, you guys have you know your production work, you have you know, projects you work on with other artists like Leadfoot, um, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, make a living. It's, hard, it's hard, but I would love to tour America. Like, do, I could easily do six months, no problem. So, but, but, but uh, just be, I think we should just be patient. Uh, rock is, uh, is uh, really growing again amongst the young people in Europe, at least. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's hope. <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean, and you guys, I think, have such an approachable sound too. You know, I think it uh, it certainly would be cool, but it would be awesome. And and the folks can get this this album you did with Leadfoot. That's available March twenty fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I think so. Yes. Awesome. Well, and that'll be available for you'll do physical like vinyl copies available. Yeah, I, I think it's also on, on both vinyl and CD. Yes, and on uh, colored vinyl too, with the you know picture disc. There you go. Uh, it's great to see that. I think that that probably helps in a, in a lot of cases with the decline of CD sales. That vinyl sales seem to be going the other way, so that uh, you guys don't have to live off streaming and, and the pennies you get from that. So it's 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 good to have that. It's more like a card, you know, like a <laughs> yeah. like a business card. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it's funny. I mean, in the, in America, I think a lot of bands you've come to realize that that your merch booth is probably the most important piece. You know, you go to you go to most artists' website and you go to their store. You know, everybody's got a little store link, and it's t-shirt, 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 calendar, hats, and then <laughs> on like page two, you'll see a CD. You know, so. It's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's almost not worth fighting the streaming services at this point. But, Ronnie, I want to thank you so much again. The new album with Leadfoot will be out March 24th. Uh, limited edition Lava Lamp, uh, a fantastic record that, that that goes in so many different directions that I think it really captivates the listener. And I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for a nice talk, my friend. Take care. All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. want to thank Ronnie Letecro again. His album with Leadfoot, the album entitled Limited Edition Lava Lamp, will be out March 24th. You can get that at all the usual spots, iTunes, etc. And I want to thank also Ricky Rackman, who will be in Oakmont on April 4th. You can check out our website for links to both of these if you're interested in purchasing the album or tickets to see Ricky's show. Ought to be a fantastic time. IronCityRocks.com 
Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name the social media. We are Iron City Rocks on all of them. Appreciate you checking those out. We've been giving a lot of tickets away, announcing a ton of shows. So always appreciate the the groundswell of, of interest we get on social media and want to thank you. If you want to reach out to us, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Let us know, you know what kind of stuff you're into. What do you want to hear on the show? We'd love to get uh, your feedback. I want to thank you listeners for for uh, bearing with me this episode as my throat is not in the greatest shape uh, fighting a cold, but I appreciate your patience in making it the whole way to this part of the show and listening to it. And until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening.